Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers. This is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. This is part of the National Podcast Post Month Challenge, which consists of recording, editing, and posting an episode of a podcast every day throughout the month of November. And in the case of this show, it's going to be going a little bit further than just November, since there are 35 different films to cover in this wonderful realm of comic book films that came before and during the run of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These are all the Marvel movies that were not part of this universe, at least not yet. We're going to see quite a bit in development when it comes to the, the one that's coming out in December, Spider-Man No Way Home. So for this episode where we're going to be talking about the 2003 film Daredevil. I'm going to be taking you a little bit further back in time. It's not going to be as far back as the as all the twists and turns that went into making the Spider-Man movie. But back in 1997, and this was during the time that Marvel was dealing with bankruptcy issues, and they were also dealing with watching some of their properties get less than stellar releases or in the case of the Fantastic Four, not being released at all. But at this point, uh, it was 1997, and 20th Century Fox had optioned the rights for Daredevil from Marvel Enterprises. And Chris Columbus was brought on to direct the film. And during that time, eventually, they were trying to get something going. Nothing really happened. And finally, in 19, like, around like 1998 or so, right before Blade came out, which is a shame because it could have they could have gotten things moving a little bit a little bit faster if they had seen from Blade just how successful a Marvel movie could actually be on the big screen but nothing really came of it over over 20th Century Fox at this period of time and it wound up going over to Columbia Pictures which would later be the home of Spider-Man by March of 1999 and there was some back and forth trying to get some things going regarding and Chris Columbus was there as well and but at some point like not not much really happened there was a script that was written and then Mark Steven Johnson who had some success as the writer of Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men he was brought on to work on the screenplay and eventually there could not be anything really going apparently um Marvel and Columbia Pictures, they couldn't really get things get things going. And by 2000, Sony went ahead and just canceled the project altogether. And then at that point, that's when the production company known as New Regency came, came on board. And they wound up getting the character rights from Marvel to produce the film. And then they had an overall deal with 20th Century Fox. So all of a sudden, there's 20th Century Fox coming back into the fray. Only this time, they're basically just handling the distribution. And they brought back Mark Steven Johnson to come in and work on a screenplay that wound up getting a lot of acclaim. And, and this is there's acclaim coming from the internet, coming from the top people 
with Marvel. I'm sure you guys know the name of Kevin Feige, the man who is uh, who spearheaded the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he went on record saying that the script that Mark Steven Johnson delivered was one of the strongest comic scripts that Marvel had received. So things were looking good. And producer Gary Foster was saying that in comparison to the other comic book films that were out there, this was going to be really character driven. It was going to be darker. It was going to be grittier, real edgy, very much in line with what Frank Miller had come up with, with the, with the Daredevil, with the Daredevil comics. And there was definitely looked, it was definitely looked at as a labor of love. You can tell just by the little nods that were given throughout the finished film, different nods to various creators who had worked on this comic, who had worked with this character, and some cameos by some of those, by some of the writers. Kevin Smith has a prominent scene in in there. There's a quick blink and you miss it moment with Frank Miller getting killed by Bullseye. And there are a lot of name droppings of different different names like Bendis, Miller, Ramita, and a lot of a lot of different uh, names like that that fans would definitely pick up on. So this was definitely something that Mark Steven Johnson had in mind for the fans. And th- turns out one big fan of Daredevil was Ben Affleck. And so Ben was brought on board to be Matt Murdock, Daredevil. And then you had and you had Jennifer Garner come come aboard to be Elektra. And she had just come off working on the movie 13 Going on 30, which was an absolutely charming, uh, really fun romantic comedy. Definitely one I would recommend uh, you take a look at, especially with Jennifer Garner's performance, because she was just she just lights up the whole thing. Now, I'm not sure if this had come out before or after that. Like, I'm thinking that that 13 Going on 30 may have come out after that. Like, I'm Still going back and forth as to whether that came out in 2003 or 2004. If you hear this, if you just go ahead and let me know. And also you had um, Michael Clark Duncan come on board as Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. And what inspiring casting that is because, man, Michael Clark Duncan could was such a great presence and he fit that role really, really well. He's very intimidating type of type of person. Granted, I think Vincent D'Onofrio has also done a fantastic job as Kingpin later on with the uh, with the series on Netflix. But for what they wanted to do here with Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin, I thought he was he, he was terrific. I thought he was really, really strong. And then you had Colin Farrell coming aboard as Bullseye. And he was just electrifying in this role. And he looked terrific, too. Kudos to the to the costume department for giving him this kind of look and having that bullseye be an indentation on his forehead and not not part of a mask. Just a really cool looking character, the way that the way that he is and the way he carried himself was even cooler. Now, with all this, what did I think of the movie itself? When I saw it, when I was sitting there in the theaters watching it, I felt like it was good. All right. It was good. It was basically like a truncated version of everything you would expect about Daredevil. It was all right there in one cute little package. And I thought it was, I enjoyed Affleck's performance. 
I enjoyed the performances of everyone all, all around. I thought like uh, everyone that I mentioned before was was solid. John Favreau was was great as Foggy Nelson. You had Joe Pantoliano as Ben Urick, and just uh, overall like a, a solid a solid cast overall. But at the same time, I felt like the overall film came off like a greatest hits package. It was very, very much in the style of like, okay, here's where, you know, like Matt loses his sight. Here's where he starts to f- figure things out. Like it's, it was just like, bam, 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 bam. It was just kind of like slow, you know, working its way through in a very kind of like a workmanlike process. So it felt like there was, there just didn't seem to be like any real fire, which was weird considering how much that screenplay was praised by everyone behind the scenes. So it felt rushed. It really it more than anything it just felt rushed. It needed to take its time and needed to breathe. And sure enough, the next year we got to see just what happens when you let this movie breathe. And that was when 20th Century Fox released the R-rated director's cut of Daredevil. It added over 30 minutes of material. It put in a very important subplot that dealt with Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson defending um, defending a gentleman played by Coolio, who was basically wrong place, wrong time when a prostitute in New York City in Hell's Kitchen gets killed. And so you had all of that that was going on. This was basically the version that came out, the director's cut. Consider that the story version of Daredevil. And it actually flowed so much better. Everything about it, like the, the scenes that, that, that led up to that led up to Matt Murdock losing his sight were were stretched out and allowed to breathe and just lots lots of great material that was put in there. Big kudos to uh, to Jennifer Garner, especially in the director's cut because one thing that I was really kind of put off by in the theatrical cut was the fact that you have this Greek character, Electro Nachios, not speaking any Greek and not feel not coming across as Greek. And sure enough, in the director's cut, she's speaking Greek. I was so thrilled with that. It's just that the little things that that really got my attention. And there was one, there's one major element that I really look at as a huge, huge step up in terms of quality. And it goes back to, there's a scene right around like the midpoint of the movie for both versions, but we'll start with the theatrical cut. So out of nowhere, you see one of Kingpin's goons beating up on someone. Matt shows up as Daredevil, kicks the crap out of him, and is about to really put some put some hurt on him when all of a sudden there's a, a kid who is crying because apparently this is that kid's father. And Matt looks at him and he's kind of like taken aback for a moment and he just says, like, I'm not the bad guy, kid. And then he leaves and then he's standing in the rain, looking down at the on the rooftop and everything and just saying, I'm not the bad guy. And then it fades to black and that's it. That's all that happens in that scene. You could literally just take that scene, throw it out and nothing would have nothing would have changed. 
with a theatrical cut. The only reason why it was there was to set up the I'm not the bad guy moment near the end when you have that final battle between uh, Matt and the Kingpin. So take that moment. Now, before that, before all of this, this was before all this was happening, you had Matt and Electro walking around and just getting to know each other more and more. And it seems all like very kind of cutesy, very romantic comedy-esque. And finally, they have a great moment to themselves on a rooftop. And Matt says it's starting to rain. It starts to rain. He kind of see he gets to see her in a way and says, you are so beautiful. They kiss and they start to hear a scuffle. And Electra says, she pulls him back because he was about to say, I got to go. And she pulls him back and she says, stay with me. And in the theatrical cut, he does. And that leads to their love scene and then just goes on from there. And I think it's around that time afterwards, that's when there is the I'm not the bad guy scene in the theatrical cut. Now, in the director's cut, we have their their cute little moment earlier on, the playground fight, which some people kind of like just it, it it definitely it's it's one of those moments. It's just one of those moments you just kind of have to you just kind of have to put up with and just get past. And it plays off really terribly in the theatrical cut because it stops so abruptly right after Electra gives her name. My name's Electra Nachios. Cut, introduce the kingpin. So it's, like I said, very workmanlike, just bam, 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 bam. With the theatrical cut, she says, my name's Electra Nachios, and then the scene continues, and you get to see her with her bodyguard and getting to speak Greek. Boom. Huge plus right there. And at the end of the scene, she leaves. She doesn't hang around with Matt, and they have their cutesy little moment. That doesn't happen here. Instead, she says, when, when Matt says, how can I find you? And like, how, how, can I, how am I supposed to find you or whatever? And she says, you won't. I'll find you. And that's the last that they, that they, that's the last moment they have together for a while. Cut to later on in the movie. And that's when Matt goes out to the rooftop and sees her. And there she is. He doesn't see her, see her like right away. But he can sense her. And the two of them are talking. And then it starts to rain. They have that moment. You are so beautiful. They kiss. They hear the scuffle. Matt says, I have to go. And she says, stay with me. But in the director's cut, he does not stay with her. So instead, he very begrudgingly leaves and leaves her up on the rooftop all alone. And what does he do? He goes to break up one of Kingpin's goons beating up on some guy, kicking the crap out of the goon and stopping when he hears the kid crying and he says, I'm not the bad guy. And now all of a sudden it's the same rain that was coming down earlier when he saw Electra's face and said, you are so beautiful. Same rain and he says, I'm not the bad guy. And now he's you can see that he's even more depressed because not only was he looked at as the bad guy in that moment. Granted, there is like a, a, a brief period where there is no rain at the, the beginning of that little scuffle. But there it is again later on. 
when he's on that rooftop saying I'm not the bad guy. So there you got you got to get past that. So but afterwards like you see that he's not only upset at someone thinking that he's the bad guy and him like losing his cool, but he also abandoned Electra. And so you have that that adds to the moment when they encounter each other again at Wilson Fisk's party. So there is a lot that goes on in in this. There is a whole lot more in the director's cut. And so if I were to recommend this, and I strongly recommend that director's cut, the theatrical cut, I can't even look at it anymore. It just doesn't have any sort of... I, I just feel nothing toward that anymore. It's at best a greatest hits package, but because I've been exposed to the director's cut... That's the only Daredevil I can watch in this terms. I can still watch the show that came like many years, quite a few years afterwards. But when it comes to this movie, the only way that I can watch this movie is the director's cut. And I am not alone in this because when 20th Century Fox released a big box set of all their different Marvel properties in one big set, they had the Fantastic Four movies, they had they had the X-Men movies. Then they also had Daredevil. But what did they have? What version was in there? The director's cut. And there's a reason for that because it's a far better film, no matter what producer Gary Foster may say, because on the featurette on the director's cut DVD, there's a featurette on there called Giving the Devil His Due. And Gary talks about both versions. And he goes on record saying that he prefers the theatrical cut. And I think that is just pure BS. I think he was basically just trying to cover himself because eventually he was behind getting that one out in the theaters. The only thing that that shorter theatrical cut accomplished was it gave more showtimes to allow for more people to go out and see it in the theater. That's it. In terms of quality, the director's cut is far, far better. So definitely give that a look. The theatrical cut it's basically a coaster for your drink that's just, that's the only way that I can really recommend it but uh, but yeah definitely give that give that director's cut a look i hope that this gave you some additional insight to this movie i hope that if you haven't seen it in a while go ahead and give it another look and like i said only watch the director's cut so at this point like we we've we're in the start now of 2003 and at this point, we're in the start of 2003. Daredevil came out in February of 2003, and we got a few really big movies that are on their way out to follow up Daredevil. And one of them being a very big sequel. And so I'm really excited to talk to you about that in our next episode. If you like what you hear, if you want to keep hearing more, please go to facebook.com slash from duck till dark. Would love to hear your feedback on everything that I've got going so far and everything that I will continue to have for the rest of this month and the, the several days afterwards. And like I said before, I plan on doing more with this show than I thought before. I would like, would love to do some interviews, would love to do, go into more insight on these films, would love to even bring in some uh, other friends to do some co-hosting on some of these. I, I got some ideas about this, but I would love to hear your ideas as well. So please let me know how you like the show and what you would like to hear in the future. 
until the next time, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior. See you again soon.